every time I see that, I just think of live, laugh, love. Um, I don't know about you, but I've never had a holiday that looks like that. Never, never. And um, that's kind of what this series is about. Also, I've got weird holidays because I work on most holidays. And uh, one of the benefits now, I realize it's a benefit, I used to see it as a drawback. One of the benefits of my job is that I don't have to travel very often on holidays. Um, which, again, used to feel like a drawback. I used to feel like that was kind of like, uh, it, was, it was something I didn't like about my job. But I, I like it increasingly now. I tell family if they want to see me, they've got to come to me, which feels really good, especially when we have a Thanksgiving weather-wise like we did this year. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of land with a lot of storm covering all of it. Anyone get caught in any of those snarls uh, traveling? Yeah, I didn't because I was at home, because I had to work. So um, it kind of works out for me now. But that's not to say that I have not had my fair share of holiday travel disasters in my life. One of the uh, ones that stands out for me was a few years ago, we wanted the whole family to go up and spend Thanksgiving with Jocelyn's grandparents, both sets of grandparents. We were going to do it over two days. So we drove up to northern Indiana. And on the way up, like right as we were literally pulling in at her one grandparent's house, I started feeling sick, and uh, the way it worked out is I got sick two hours later, two of my kids got sick um, just with some sort of stomach virus, so we drove essentially six hours to then spend two days in a hotel, aka a really expensive rental toilet, because that's what it was, and then we um, got better just in time to drive home six hours, didn't celebrate anything, just kind of, you know, drove, stayed in a hotel, sick, drove home. Um, there have been lots of other holiday travel things that did not work out the way that I expected, so um, that's why I say today, hey, if you want to see me, you know where I am, you can come visit, I stay home for most holidays. But when I think about holiday travel, I think not only of those snowstorms that made me have to drive twice as long as I thought I would or canceled flights. But when I think of holiday travel, I also think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think not just of that quaint ride that we see in the pageant that she might have taken on a donkey from Nazareth and Galilee down to Bethlehem when she was great with child, but I really think of the bigger journey that Mary must have been on in her life. I mean, she started as a, a simple young woman. I mean, uncomfortably young for most of us modern people, just about marrying age, from a small town, unknown, obscure, not really expecting much from her life. But then, suddenly, her life takes this turn that she never saw coming, and she starts living this life that was so much bigger, this, this, this journey that was so much bigger than anything she ever could imagine, all because one fateful day, she said yes. We're going to look at that fateful day. It's probably a story that you've heard before, or at least have heard in part before. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you're here in the room, you can look along in your Bible there in the seat rack out of you, page 1025. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now we're going to hear this story next week. We're taking this out of order. Um, but in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she was a relative of Mary's, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee that's way in the north of Israel, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words 
and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I, I love this. I love this picture of Mary's humility right here, that the angel comes and he's like, greetings, you who are highly favored. And she's troubled because I know there are some of us sitting in this room, I'm not going to name any names, who if we got greeted by an angel with this kind of greeting, we'd be like, it's about time someone recognizes my genius. <laughs> right? Uh, and Mary, she's, she's troubled. She's distressed by this. She's like, highly favored, who are you talking to? She doesn't see herself as anything special. And that's what we need to know about Mary before we get into the rest of her story, is that Mary was a woman who would have been content living a pretty small and ordinary life. I mean, until about 100 years ago, most people lived and died within maybe a, a few feet, a half mile of each other. People didn't travel the world. They didn't see much. They didn't go many places. And, and so Mary was a woman who likely was content with someday getting married and having a family and raising children and, and being a faithful worshiper and being a faithful citizen. And, and, and that would have been enough for her. And then you think about us in the here and now in our modern world and how that, that just seems like selling out, doesn't it? We all believe that we're supposed to do more and we're supposed to do bigger things and few of us would be content with a life that small. And yet, ironically, Mary's contentment with a small life is the very reason God visits her for this greater purpose. See, the scriptures tell us over and over again that God loves to find the humble. God loves to find the content and the satisfied with small things and he loves to raise them up to use them for bigger things. And often it's our ambitions for bigger things, our belief that, you know, we, we're made for more of this and, and scorning the small faithful things that mean that we'll be passed over for the truly bigger things. So Mary, she's, she's blown away by this angel, this greeting. She doesn't know what to make of it. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, the most celebrated king in all of Israel's history. And, and your son will reign over Jacob's descendants. Uh, Jacob is, is kind of the, the father of Israel, so it's another way of saying of Israel, of the Hebrew people, of the Jewish people. So your son will reign over the Israel nation, the, his, uh, the Hebrew people, forever. His kingdom will never end. And so Mary hears she's going to have a child. And her child's going to be the next great king of Israel. And he is going to be the first in a long dynasty of rulers who will rule over Israel forever. Fair enough, but Mary has one important question. The question is, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now at this point, Mary does not hear the angel saying to her, and, and this question is not what we think, because she doesn't hear the angel saying to her, Mary, you are going to give birth to God in human flesh miraculously. It's not what she hears. It's not what the angel's told her yet. At this point, what she has heard is the angel saying, Mary, you're going to give birth to a great king. And having, giving birth to a king is, is not a miraculous thing, really. I mean, kings are born in a very ordinary way. They're usually the son of another king. It's just lineage. It's simple, simple lineage. It's a normal process. And so Mary's question here is not, you know, how can God do miraculous things? It's probably more functional. Wait a minute. I'm engaged to Joseph. Is Joseph a king? Is, 
is, is, am I not going to marry Joseph? Is I going to be married to someone else? Like, how am I going to give birth to a king when I'm not married and I'm not married to a king? And this is the point where everything gets really weird. As if being told as an insignificant kind of unknown person that you're going to give birth to a great king, then it gets even weirder. Because the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born, not just your son who's a king, but the Holy One to be born, he's upping the stakes here, this angel is with this announcement, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Because no word from God will ever fail. The angel says, Mary, this is going to blow your mind. You're not just giving birth to a king. You're giving birth to God in human flesh. And you don't have to worry about being married or not being married. God's going to handle all of this for you. And here's what I know. No matter what Mary envisioned for her life, no matter what her 5, 10, 20 year plan was, this was not a part of it. I mean, there's no way. You can't make this stuff up. And I want you to see Mary's response, even so. Not on her radar at all. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Put yourself in Mary's place for a minute. An angel comes and tells her, Mary, you may be plotting out a course for your life. It's about to get very different. You're about to take a very different kind of journey. And there are all of these questions and things that don't make sense. I mean, th things that must have just boggled her mind. But Mary's answer, simply put, yes. Okay. I'm your servant. I don't even know what this means, but I'm your servant. Whatever you say, goes. Yes. Yes to this calling that she could barely understand. Yes to a job or a, a role that would put her very life in jeopardy. I think maybe you've heard before, if not, let me tell you that to become pregnant outside of marriage in this time was a crime punishable by death. You could be stoned, crushed with stones for being found to be pregnant, not married. So it's not just like, oh, this is, this is crazy and weird. Mary, by saying yes, is putting her very life at risk. But she says yes anyway. And because of that yes, Mary begins an unimaginable journey that would forever change her life and frankly the world. Now, now in contrast for me, and, and maybe this is true of you, I want to be a person who says yes. Just generally speaking in life. Because here's what I know. Yes is the language of possibility and openness, right? Yes is open-mindedness, and I, I want to be open. Yes is also the language of love and trust, right? When you love someone, it's easier to say yes. When you trust someone, you can say yes. No is the, the language of doubt and control, and I, I want to love and trust. Yes is the language of generosity, and I want to be generous. I, I want to be someone who says yes, but if I take account of my life, I fill my part of the world not with yeses, but noes. My life is filled with noes. No, that's too risky. No, that won't work. No, that's irresponsible. No, we don't have the money for that. 
no, that sounds too hard. I don't think we should do that. And here's the thing. I find myself saying no to things that I don't even have to say no to. Things that, that I would do regardless, I let them be driven by no. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll, here's what I'll explain that. Um, I wake up early in the morning. I wake up at 4.45 in the morning. Any other early risers here? Yeah, so maybe for some of you, you're like even early. You're like 4.45 is not early, you know. I bow to you, right? Um, so I wake up early in the morning, which I think is a healthy behavior. It helps me uh, in life. But here's what I've discovered about that, that when I set my alarm, that I, I primarily wake up early in the morning based on a no. When I set my alarm and I get up when my alarm goes off, I'm essentially doing it because I'm saying no to sleeping in. I'm saying no to being a lazy person. When I could just as easily get up early in the morning out of a yes. A yes to having an unhurried morning. A yes to having quiet time with God. Yes to having time to get my mind right before I jump into a day. Right? I could say no. I could say yes. Same behavior. I choose no every time. Or uh, maybe you do this with food. Instead of saying no to that unhealthy food, that, that, you know, that bad food, bad food, this time of year is filled with bad food, right? Instead of saying no to that, I could say yes to food that makes my body feel good, that's going to give me the energy I need. I, I could say yes, make the same decision driven by a yes rather than a no, but I, probably like you, tend to, tend to say no. No, I'm not going to eat that thing. I let my world be filled with no's. The same thing about sinful behavior, behavior that's wrong or immoral or an abomination. So often I say no to things because they're, you know, they're bad things. When I could just as easily say yes to, to the same behavior, behavior that brings life to me and others, behavior that comes with joy instead of regret. No regrets, Right? Even in setting boundaries, in setting limits for our kids, I, I don't mean saying yes means you have to let people do whatever they want. Here's what I mean, that reframing hard, inflexible, uncaring no's into yeses is not only semantics, but yeses often get to the heart of what no's obscure. Let's bring this to faith for a minute. Here's what I think. I think most of us sitting in this room, if we really think about it, we believe in a God who is all about no's. Thou shalt not. For those words before? <laughs> there are 10 of them, right? The Ten Commandments are uh, valuable and they're God-breathed, of course. And yet I think most of us, that becomes our picture of God, a God who is a master at saying no, telling us what we should not do. Here's the reality. Our God is a God who is all about yes. I want you to see what Paul said later on, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message, the faithful message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying God's final definitive authoritative word to us is not a no, it's a yes. 
He's saying that Jesus Christ embodies a a big giant yes of God, that in Jesus, God is showing us everything in life that is worth saying yes to. And if you're looking for direction in life, you only need to look as far as Jesus. And we just did a whole series called Shook. Look nine weeks at Jesus. Go back and watch that series. Because in it, you will see as Jesus lives his life, he is the embodiment of everything in life that is worth saying yes to. Everything that's good, everything that's fulfilling, everything that's not just morally right, but everything that is truly abundant, Jesus Christ is God's yes. And through Jesus, we see that God is a God who is ultimately about saying yes to us. Jesus is God's yes. But even so, even though I know yes is the language of openness and possibility and love and trust and generosity, even though, even though God's ultimate word to us is yes in Jesus, it's hard to say yes. It's so much easier to say no. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, a book by the name of Never Split the Difference by a guy named Chris Voss. He's a former FBI hostage negotiator. He's a mean-looking guy. He had old pictures that he, where he used to smile, and I think they realized it was bad for his brand, and so he stopped smiling. Um, it's, it's a really interesting book, and he talks about negotiation, eventually trying to get people to say yes, whether it's in a business deal or whether it's yes to releasing a hostage, a really important yes. But he talks in this book, uh, he has a, spends a chapter talking about how we as humans have this need to say no. It's, it's a way that we assert ourselves and protect our autonomy. And so he gives a negotiation tip, You get your money's worth right here out of church today. You write this down. Uh, A negotiation tip. If you're trying to get someone to a yes, he says one of the great things you can do early on is give them something quick and easy they can say no to. Because people want to say no to something. We love to say no. So he says give them something that they can say no to. That way they'll feel like they have autonomy. They'll feel a sense of control. And then they'll become a little more open after saying a no, after getting that out of their system, to saying a later yes. There you go. Try it on the way home when you're negotiating where you're going to go for lunch, right? Just throw out something nasty and uh, let's go back to that for a second. Um, uh, so in this book, he not only talks about the things that we, um, we, how we love to say no, but then he talks about how we, even when we say yes, we don't always mean yes. That often even under our yeses, we're saying something else. Uh, so he talks about there are three different types of yeses. The first yes he talks about is a counterfeit yes. This is a yes that we say and we don't even mean, we're just trying to get people off our back. This is the yes that my children give me when I leave the house and I say, hey, take the dog out in a half an hour. Sure, dad. Of course, they have no intention of doing it. They never do. It's not even like they forget. They just are like, we know we have to say yes, otherwise you're going to yell at us. And so, you know, right? And, and so we do, don't judge my kids, you do this stuff too. Right? You do it all the time. You say yes to things. Uh, 2020 is a year where America will take a census, and here's what's going to happen in America. The vast majority of Americans on a census form are going to check a box that says, yes, I'm Catholic, yes, I'm Lutheran, yes, I'm Baptist, yes, I'm some kind of Christian who attends worship, and the reality is most of us, most of the people who check that form won't have stepped foot into a church in years, let alone decades. Right? It's just something we say. We're not even sure why we say it. We just feels right to say. We don't really mean it. We don't believe it. We're not going to do anything differently. It's a counterfeit yes. Even sometimes when we're saying yes, we're actually saying no. That's the point. There's another kind of yes. It's a, a yes of confirmation. 
you know this yes too. Um, how, how many of you believe, fervently, sincerely believe that exercise is good for you? That it makes your life better, it helps you deal with stress, you feel better when you exercise? Yeah, how many of you believe that? Okay, you, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't give me a counterfeit yes here. Don't, don't do it. Just to, Only if you believe it, raise your hand. So a lot of you raise your hands. I will not ask you to raise your hand here, but I could ask you to raise hands for how many of you have worked out then at least three times in the last week. What are we probably going to see? We're going to see fewer hands, right? That's this yes of confirmation that, that uh, yeah, I believe it's true. I, I absolutely agree. I think that's factual. But there's some sort of disconnect between our yes and our actions. It, it doesn't really get in. It doesn't change us. In faith, this happens all the time to us, right? We hear Jesus teaching about generosity. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we say yes. We hear Jesus saying, hey, if your brother sins against you, I want you to forgive him up to 70 times seven. Forgive your brother unlimited amount of times. Or love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. We sit in church and we say yes, except in church we don't say yes, we say amen. In this church we don't even say amen. Other churches people say amen because they have better preachers apparently. And so people say amen and, and we say that, we say yes, amen, or at least we say it in our hearts, right? That was supposed to be funny. I'm making fun of you, but it's in love. Um, and I'm making fun of me, maybe in love. But, right, we, we say yes. Yes to generosity, yes to forgiveness, yes to loving our enemies. And then we go and we don't do that. Uh, James, one of the New Testament writers, he wrote a letter and he said that so often, and, and this is what he's describing, this confirmation yes, he says, we can be like a man or a person who looks in a mirror, sees ourselves, and we walk away and we immediately forget what we look like. Not because we're disingenuous. There's just something sometimes about our yes that doesn't get through. It's not quite a yes. It sounds like a yes, but it's not a real yes. The third type of yes is the yes of commitment. This is a true yes. This is a I'm in. I'm sold out. I'm bought in kind of yes. This is the yes in faith that says, Jesus, I not only believe in you, but I want to follow you. I don't want to just hear your word. I want to live out your word. I want to put it into practice. Jesus, I want your kingdom, your reign, your rule, your ways more than I want my own ways. This is Mary's yes. And in reality, it's the only true yes in all of the yeses that we throw out there into the world. But, but this is Mary's yes. This is, a, this is a wholehearted yes. I want to be the kind of guy who says yes in this way. And there are some places in my life where I can, where I do, where I have, and yet I realize there are so many places in my life where I'm either giving an artificial yes, a false yes, or I'm just filling the world with no's. But, but here's what I've observed. That as hard as it is to say yes, it's possible. Because as I look around my part of the world, I see people who say yes, specifically yes to God, to some pretty big stuff in some pretty inspiring ways. I think if you look around the world, you'll see it too. When I look around my world, I, I think of these two people, Tim and Diane Esela. They were part of the Pathfinder family. And years ago when they were getting ready for retirement, Diane uh, served as a nurse, Tim worked at Boeing. And um, as they thought about retirement, they, they felt God calling them to tithe on their retirement, to set aside the first fruits of their retirement, the first couple of years of retirement, to serve God full time. And they didn't know what that meant, but, but they said yes to God. And they ended up saying yes to going to Cambodia to serve at the ministry we started there called Stronghold, a, a nonprofit. 
And uh, even after they served that first two-year stint in Cambodia full-time, they continually say yes to God. They now serve half a year in Cambodia, all because they felt God inviting them to help share the gospel specifically with kids, but with whole families in a country that is about 2% Christian. And they, and they heard God calling them to do that. And they had never been to Cambodia. And, and they said yes. And now they're doing it in an ongoing way. I think of Greg and Allison Bomber. They are not part of the Pathfinder family. Uh, you see Greg pictured here. He's a graduate of Indiana University, the Kelly Business School. He went on and got an MBA at Harvard. He is in his 30s. He's a senior executive at an at a impressive company. Um, and Greg and Allison are part of this Christian movement. I heard their testimony recently. A Christian movement of a lot of young people who've decided to say yes to generosity. And so the Bomber family, they have made a pact to give at least 20% of their income away every year. And they're only in their 30s, but that is why you see Greg walking here to his car, which was his grandmother's car. His grandmother's car that sat in a garage for five years, had no tires, no battery after it was done. But, but he drives now his grandmother's old Mercury Grand Marquis because in saying yes to being really generous to causes close to God's heart in this world, that meant saying no to an expensive car. It's a big yes for an executive who went to Harvard, makes a lot of money. Or I think of other people here in our Pathfinder family saying yes, it's supposed to be blurry, don't panic. Um, but we, there are a number of families here, and I don't want to call them out by name or um, break confidentiality with them, but uh, families who have kids of their own, but they've said yes to going through extensive training, being open to a call from a social worker who in a few minutes will ask them to make a split-second decision about whether or not to receive a kid into their house for an indefinite period of time who has who knows what kind of backstory. In other words, there are a number of people in this church who have agreed to be foster parents and to ride the waves of, of that really scary thing, um, that heartbreaking thing, because they felt God calling them to say yes to the least of these, to the most vulnerable, to orphans or kids who are nearly orphaned to provide them refuge and safety. And, and they've said, yes. And I don't know about you, but I am so inspired by people. I may, maybe feel a little bit shamed or embarrassed sometimes, but, but mostly I feel inspired by people like that. I want to be able to say yes to God in those ways. I, I want my life to be a yes. I want to be like Mary and to say, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I will do but it's hard to say yes. And if I look deep within myself, here are the reasons why. For starters, because I'm a planner. And when I have a carefully laid out master plan for my life, I don't take kindly to interruptions, even from God. And I know that's not just me. I live in a community of planners here. Recently, we did some market research um, here at St. John's School, we have this, this innovative approach to education. It's personalized learning. No one in West County does it. Um, it is really groundbreaking. My son's been a part of it now for, um, this is his second year. It's amazing what we're doing, but it's so new and different and no one's doing it, so we're having a hard time explaining it to people. So we did market research to try to figure out, like, how do, how do we explain this to people? And so we were in a uh, focus group facility behind that, you know, like mirror, the double mirror thing, the two-way mirror. And uh, on the other side, in this one group in particular, there's this group of moms 
and some of our leadership staff are sitting on the other side watching them. And, uh, and, and I'm a planner, but I observed some things that day that like made me just like, I saw planning at another level. There was one mom who sat there and said, you know, if you want us to consider your school, then uh, I need information about it while I'm in the hospital giving birth because that's when I start thinking about education for my kid. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this woman means business. It wasn't just her though. There was another woman who said, actually, for me, I would need that before then. I, I would need that information when I'm buying my house because the reason we bought the house that we bought is because it was next to the elementary school we wanted our kid to go to, which would lead to the right middle school, lead to the right high school, lead to the right college, which would lead to the right career options. And here's what I know, ironically, I bet you at least one of those women were, are women who, you know, when, when pregnant with those children, if you walked up to them and said, oh, do you know what you're having? They would have been like, we want to be surprised. <laughs> I can tell you're so good with surprises, right? We're not good with surprises. We're planners in this community. I, I know I am. And so j just to open up my life to God's yes that's scary because I've invested a lot in my plans. I like my plans. I've thought a lot about them. Not only that, um, it's hard to say yes because I've got lots to balance. So do you, right? And, and my faith is so important to me. If I asked you to raise hands, and, and I'm not going to, but if I asked you to raise your hands and say, how many of you would say that your faith is the most important part of your life? I bet a lot of hands would go up. Maybe not all, but I bet a lot of hands would go up. But here's some truth for us. Our faith was never meant to be the most important part of our lives because our faith was never meant to be a part of our lives. Our faith is meant to be the animating force that gives, gives life and expression to every part of us. It's meant to, to permeate our whole lives. But that's not the way we think about it. Our faith is an important part, but we've got all these other parts that we're trying to keep in balance. And, and yes, God's important to me and our faith is important to me, but I don't want to be a fanatic. I, I don't want to say yes to God in everything because that might threaten some of the other things that I'm trying to do with my kids or the goals that I have or the vacations I want to take or, right? And so we're trying to keep this in balance. I, I know that's true for me. It's hard to say yes, finally, because saying yes can get me into trouble. I don't want to move to Cambodia. I don't want to drive my grandmother's Mercury Grand Marquis. And I'm afraid that if I say yes to God, that stuff is going to happen. It's going to get me into trouble. But again, here's the truth. It's actually all of our no's that get us into trouble. And I don't mean like, you know, God gets mad at us, gets us into trouble. But our no's get us into trouble because when we limit the influence God is allowed to have or, or what God is allowed to speak over in our lives, here's what we're doing. We're not just limiting the things that God can mess up or interfere with in our lives, but we're limiting the benefit that faith can bring into our life. When we limit God's influence over a smaller part of our life by saying no to all of this stuff out here and, and keeping God constrained, keeping him in the box like we talked about last week, what we're essentially doing is we're limiting the benefits that God can bring into our lives through faith to a smaller part of our life instead of our whole life. See, we think we're protecting ourselves. We're actually depriving ourselves. And here's why I can say that. Tim and Diane Esela, they'll tell you that 
living between two parts of the world, Cambodia and the United States, when they have grandkids and, and family here, that it's hard. There are ups and downs to it. But the reason they keep going back is not just because they're gluttons for punishment or they think God's going to be mad at them if they don't. The reason they go back is because it's made their life fuller. Greg and Allison Bomber will tell you that it's not always fun to drive a really old car, but they'll tell you that, that being a part of God's work in a very hands-on way, investing in the kingdom of God in the here and now through generosity, that it brings joy into life, joy that far outlasts the new car smell, and peace and assurance and security knowing that their future is in God's hands. My friends in foster care will tell you the same thing, that there, is, there are heartbreaking moments, but it makes their life fuller and richer for having said yes. And here's what I can tell you. If we could bring Mary, the mother of Jesus, up here to give a testimony, I'm sure this is what she would say. She would say that saying yes to God was hard and it was scary and it cost her. But then she would say, that as a result of that yes, she got to travel to places in the world she never thought she would see. Mary and Joseph, because of Jesus, ended up living in Egypt, the greatest civilization, one of the greatest civilizations of the ancient world. They got to live there. Mary would talk about how because she said yes, her life was filled with miracles. From the angel who came and visited her to all of the miracles she saw through her son, through his death, through his resurrection, throughout the, her life was filled with the miraculous, never boring. Mary would say that because she said yes, she not only got to experience what it's like to love God, but she got to experience what it's like to be loved by God in a very personal way, that she got to experience the embrace of God every time she held her son. And I'm not sure it would have mattered to her, but here's what Mary could have told you. That because she said yes, she went from being some obscure girl from a nowhere place to being the most known and celebrated woman in the entire history of the world. And you know that's not an overstatement. It is true, right? All because she said yes. And here's what I want you to know today. There's a bigger journey waiting for you. Bigger than anything you can conceive of for yourself. And it all starts by saying yes. And it may not be yes to the big crazy thing, to moving or hemispheres or... See, chances are there's, there's probably some yes in your life that you've been wrestling with, a question from God that you've been wrestling with for the last hours or weeks or months or maybe even years. There's something that you feel God inviting you to do, but you've been hesitant to give God your wholehearted yes. And it may be something small. It may be taking a step on your generosity journey and doing something generous, giving something away. It may be taking a risk in a relationship with someone. I mean, maybe there's someone that you've been back and forth, back and forth about inviting to church or inviting the sounds of Christmas this week. Someone who needs to have a relationship with God. Someone who would be so blessed by taking a step closer to God through a local church. And, and yet you're back and forth and you're not sure and it's yes and no and, uh, and I want to, but then you don't do it and you don't follow through. Maybe it's just saying yes to taking that risk and inviting them. 
Maybe it's saying yes to opening up your Bible or finally getting involved in a men's group or a women's group to, to be with a group of people who will help you go deeper. And, and you've thought about it and you've, oh, I'm going to make that call. I'm going to send that email. And a million yeses, half-hearted yeses. Maybe today it's just, no, yes, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, God, I want to go deeper with you. Or maybe you are someone who has been watching Jesus from a distance. And you've got questions and you've got doubts and you've got uncertainty. But you just have felt this call to just set those things aside and to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to him as your Lord and Savior, to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Today, your life will change if you simply say yes. See, it doesn't have to be the big stuff. It can be the small stuff too. It can be the stuff that's right in front of you right now. We make this so much bigger. We get so far ahead of ourselves. Just start here and now and take it one yes at a time because when you do, when you begin to say yes to God, here's what you'll discover. You'll discover a much bigger, fuller, more exciting journey than anything you can ever imagine for yourself when you say yes. Today, um, we're going to sing a song. And the song basically summarizes everything that we've just talked about. And so if there's that thing that's been in your mind, that thing that you've been struggling to say yes to, even though you feel like God is calling you to do it, I want you to hold that thing in your heart and your mind as we're singing the words of the song, because the song is about just simply saying yes, taking the next step, not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but in faith and trust, throwing ourselves into the arms of God and saying yes to him. Please stand and let's sing together.